2: Mike and the Trudell clan are off hopefully dominating a baseball tournament today, so sending good vibes to them. Maybe maybe we'll be able to update our baseball references on this pod in 20 years, Darius, where where we're making uh, Trudell comments, right, and comparing them to the great Trudell boys, right? So good luck to Mike and the whole clan. Lakers have a vacancy, at least theoretically, on the coaching staff with Jason Kidd leaving to Dallas. Dude, we know so little about how a coaching staff works on the NBA level. It's been cool to get more and more insight, but it's an interesting topic because it's one where you can go whatever direction you want to, because it's so vague. And I would love to hear you go in whatever direction you want to. What are the implications of kid leaving the staff? First of
1: all, I think whenever we talk about assistant coaches, there's a lot of projecting of what we want when we start to do analysis right and and so the first thing when thinking about Jason Kidd is, do you remember the circumstances under which he was even named a Lakers' assistant coach? like he was a candidate mm-hmm. for the actual job that Frank Vogel got, and there was a lot of pushback because of Kidd's history, not mm-hmm. only as a head coach but like the baggage that he carries from his personal life with the drunk driving stuff, the
2: domestic the, violence, yeah. the
1: domestic violence with, with his wife or ex-wife, I think now. So there was a strong current of like, like we don't want this dude anywhere near the organization from a lot of the fan from a fair amount of the fan base. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think, Like I had my concerns about naming a person with that sort of background as a head coach. And then you fast forward a little bit, the Lakers do decide on hiring Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd is seemingly forced upon Vogel as an assistant coach. Like, and that led to a lot of the stuff about like, Oh, well, you know, one three game losing streak Mm -hmm. and And Vogel's going to be looking over his shoulder because there's Jason Kidd lurking for for his job. Right. And so one of the first things I wanted to mention about Kidd departing is that all of that sort of projecting that so many people did about Kidd and what his motives might be. And and every sort of bad thing that you could imagine that could have transpired with him on on the staff. Like none of that stuff really happened.
2: Yeah. It was an uneventful tenure in terms of drama and things like orchestrating a coup against Vogel. Like that was the idea, right? Like that, that would happen and really nothing happened along those lines.
1: Yeah. And and so when I think about losing Jason Kidd, then um, a couple of things come, come to mind. One, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jason Kidd's name was mentioned in the head coaching job in portland um and then he actually got the job in dallas um if you look back at his tenure he was very popular with Giannis, right not necessarily with the bucks fan base but with Giannis. and and one of the only and i didn't see a lot of of social media stuff about this but lebron spoke very much like we gonna miss
2: like Mm -hmm. we're gonna miss you And he's always spoken highly of Kidd.
1: That idea of he can be sort of a star whisperer to a certain extent or star players like Jason Kidd. I think that's an interesting dynamic and something that uh, personally, I think if you're looking at it only through that prism, it's going to be hard to replace Jason Kidd from that perspective.
2: Well, Let me ask you this. What do you think it is about him that superstars like he was he was one of them mm-hmm. he, he was a superstar man. he was a man as a as a young player he was he was a remarkable player to watch
1: jason kid was so when i was when i was in high school um and i went to you you know i went to i grew up in a relatively small small town and there were two high schools in the entire town so the high schools were big even though the town was sort of small, right? Because if every, if every high school age kid in the city is gonna go to one of two high schools, then guess what? Like there's gonna be thousands of kids that go to these high schools. Um, and so I played basketball there, right? And in between my freshman year and my sophomore year in high school, um, the, vars- the longtime varsity coach resigned and they hired a new coach. And there were all these summer workouts that were happening because the new coach wanted to get a sense of like who were his returning players and who were the sort of up and coming kids within the program. And so he just sort of held these summer workouts and practices and open gym runs. Right. And ultimately, I impressed this coach enough in between my freshman and my sophomore season that he asked me to play varsity basketball. As a sophomore, which was pretty rare at my school, but not so rare because the five best players, and I count myself among that from the freshman team, he brought them all up to play varsity as as sophomores, and this was right around the era of like the fab five Michigan players, right? and so we were like all full of ourselves as as kids, right? but my coach told me. There's this point guard who goes to Cal. His name's Jason Kidd. You should watch this guy play because this dude knows, he knows how to play the game. And throughout his entire career, Pete Kidd was one of those dudes that I think star players gravitated to as a player, because Mm -hmm. he was one of the guys, he was one of the few guys who made star players better. Right? Like star players, we always talk about the stars as the guys who make role players better. Right? Like, oh, he makes the game easy for him. LeBron's a prime example of that, right? Like, oh, there's Danny Green or KCP in the corner. LeBron's drawing help. He's making weak side defenders sink. And there he is throwing a skip pass right over the top, right into your shooting pocket, on time, on on target for a wide open jumper and LeBron's making those dudes better. But Jason Kidd was the type of player who could make LeBron better because he can make his life easier. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you talk about why do star players gravitate towards, towards, towards him, I think that's a big idea is that a, he was one of them and B he sort of knows the alchemy and the elixir to sort of speak to them and, and speaks their language as a high level basketball thinker.
2: Yeah. I think so much of, how we perceive coaching is through a 5 on 5 perspective of this is these are the plays that a coach draws up right and these are the Xs and Os and this is the offense that they run but so much of a coaching staff and I want to get into kind of how Vogel constructs his the assignments that he gives to assistant coaches cuz not every coach does the, the same thing but there's in in that and and that stuff matters the tactics and the Xs and Os and the plays that you draw the offense that you run all of that stuff matters but what also matters are the decisions that are made on the floor from the main decision maker's standpoint and that's what Jason Kidd was as a player is he was the main guy right he was somebody and on our staff I'm I'm going through I'm I'm cycling through our assistants as I think about this, but I think he's the only one that was a really high level NBA player. And I think there's a spot for that. That's one thing that it's, you said at the beginning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of projection, right. As to what we want. And I've seen a, a great desire for an offensive coordinator on the staff, which I get our offense wasn't good. I've been talking about that all year, but I think that it's, we're going to run the LeBron offense next year, Darius. Every right? year LeBron is on the team. Guess We're what? Going to, right. And so your tactical expertise in another environment is not the same as it will be here, right? And and so in terms of replacing Kid, I think that – I don't necessarily think it's the same thing as a roster in that you want this type of player need this particular skill. It's more about like who's available and what do they bring to the table. But I think that I'm curious on your thoughts on how do you thread the needle between we do need to upgrade our offense. Yeah. I don't necessarily think Jason Kidd was our offensive coordinator in the first place. So the idea that there's a vacancy I think is a, a little bit misled, but I do think we need to improve our offense, but it's going to be the LeBron offense. So, what is the space in between that satis- satisfies both of those things?
1: Yeah, and this is where I think kids role as more of a someone who could relate to the stars and who automatically got their respect just by being there, right? And this goes back to the point that we were making about kid and lurking and and like the coup on on Vogel, right? It's that. We knew LeBron was going to – that Vogel was going to have to earn LeBron's respect. And we also knew that Jason Kidd already had it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and it was sort of the same parallel that you saw with Ty Lue and David Blatt. We knew Blatt was going to have to get LeBron's respect. But Ty Lue probably already had former NBA player – Won a championship, like one of those dudes who he could probably speak to on a certain level and be like, "You get it, right?" Yeah, there's
2: a degree of basketball brilliance that that Lou has for sure. That kid also has.
1: That's right. And so there's a there there a part of me when you talk about like threading the needle between. Being able to upgrade the offense, some of that is going to be how can you communicate to LeBron in a way that you sort of get him towards things that are going to that you're seeing and have him see them the same way in order to impact change in doing things a certain way, right? Because for all of the X's and O's acumen that you have, if you don't have the pedigree. In, and in order to break through within the communication, I see some of that stuff falling flat. Do you think that's off base?
2: Not Not at all, because LeBron has very high level, well-developed opinions on how things should be. And he's the person that's out there on the floor executing it. And again, he's going into year 18 of playing a particular way. And so it's really about trying to get the best version out of that particular way rather than bringing in a different type of offense whether it's somebody with that pedigree or not it's not even just a matter of respect like we're going to play a certain way whether it's a former player communicating that to LeBron or whether it's a, a coach who you know was raised in the Euro League and is, is a great tactician I have some ideas about ways that we can kind of fit this space in between let's take a quick break come back uh, and and we'll talk about that more So in watching Phoenix and just these playoffs in general, one thing that's particularly impressive with the Suns is they've got a ton of ball screen variations. They've got their great stack pick and roll sets. They have they do a lot out of horns. They do a lot of double drag stuff. And they've got two ball handlers on each side of the floor. They're able to operate within that at any given time because of Booker, CP3, but also campaign. And, and that isn't terribly uncommon in these playoffs in general teams go smaller teams switch more it becomes more of a ball screen game and that is the place our pick and roll game is the place where I think that we can improve where we can turn up the frequency with which we do it that also fits within what LeBron does and I think that whether it's Dennis or somebody else whomever the guard is that has that secondary responsibility will play heavily into this as well but I would love to see our ball screen game improve. And this is my projection, Darius, right? Like I would yeah, say sure. everybody else is projecting, right? Like, the, But I think that that's probably that seeing all of the the different ball screen variations that Phoenix runs, uh, Utah really didn't run a ton of offense, quote unquote, because the Clippers were switching again and, and went small. It, just looking at these playoffs, that's an area where I think we can improve that fits what LeBron does best.
1: No, I think that that's right, right on. I would also say though, that like pick and roll game and a topic that we spoke about a few pods ago, shooting, those things go hand in hand. And one of the things that I've noticed these playoffs in relation to ball screen stuff is pull up shooting is so important when important. Mm -hmm. when it comes to executing ball screens. Just because if you are not a viable pull-up shooter, defenses go under on you on screens. And when defenses go under on you, it changes the angles in which you are able to attack as the ball handler. And it changes the angles in which the help is positioned on the weak side of the floor in order to open up more shooting.
2: Well, and even for the role man too, right? Like it, you, it, you may be going under with the guard, but you can also be in a deep drop in ways that you just can't do against these pull-up shooters. And that's why we see drops uh, happening less and less as the playoffs go on.
1: This is where I thought some of the Lakers' issues with both their main ball screen options are not great pull-up shooters. Now, mm-hmm. now LeBron, I think, is a better pull-up shooter than what he's given credit for. But if choosing all of the things out of LeBron's game as a defense that you're going to surrender to him at the top of the list is the pull-ups jumper, right? Because you are not going to let him get downhill. You are not going to switch on him, or at least that's not ideal for you. You do not want to switch on him and then surrender mismatches that way. Because then he'll go to the post or he'll draw out your big guy and and he's such a good passer that playing in these one-on-one situations where he's able to dictate the terms is is too costly to you. And so the goal is always make him shoot from as far away as possible.
2: He's also a guy whose natural shooting motion is kind of back into the left. So stepping into an elbow jumper is not his preferred shooting form. So that's why, like, I see him pass up that shot a ton.
1: Well, also, too, most of the time when he shoots that pull-up jumper is he wants to put you in jail first, right? And Mm -hmm. then let you recover to an angle where then he can step back and and shoot it, right? So it's just like, he's taking the shot that you want, but he's still taking it in terms that he wants. In the way that he
2: wants to take it, yep.
1: And that is, to me, if there was LeBron's game in a nutshell at this point in his career, it's that. It's even when you think you're dictating the
2: terms, I'm doing it my way. So that is exactly the type of decision. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a specific... Uh, example of the point that I was making earlier about how assistant coaches, beyond just the five-on-five tactical stuff, is it's the player decision, the in-game like they're covering you this way. If you use this move, that's going to counter in a way that gets you to at least your type of shot. In even in the context of the, of you taking the shot that they want you to take, and, and so and getting back to the pick and roll game
1: and and and, and sort of optimizing that right. One of the one of the things that I see as like a as also like a key component of that is all right. Well, is the secondary pick and roll guy going to be a pull up shooter? Because if that guy is still sort of Dennis Schroeder, Dennis Mm -hmm. Schroeder can definitely be a second side or even strong side pick and roll ball handler. Like he's good enough at that. But in order to unlock all of the stuff that you see from like a team like Phoenix. Or even a team like Utah when when Conley and Mitchell were both healthy, like the stuff that you saw during the regular season, you need that pull-up shooting threat that is going to open up some of the other angles that allow you to do some of the more diverse things within the context of having a pick and roll heavy offense. Like I can I get wanting to improve that aspect of the game, but do you see from like you say, you're saying like you're projecting, right? Do you see the Lakers reaching a level with their pick and roll game that is equal to what some of the highest PNR game teams are with their personnel, the way that, that it is. And even with LeBron being like a key component of that.
2: No, that's a great point. And the answer is no, and it's also I don't think we need to get to that level. We don't mm. need to be amongst the best ball screen teams in the game. I just think we need to be more proficient at it. Now, to play devil's advocate with my own point, we had even less pull-up shooting in off of ball screens, at least, in, in the 2020 championship run, right? We had Avery Bradley starting at – now, Bradley was actually decent at that elbow pull-up, but come playoff time, he wasn't in the bubble. We had KCP and Danny Green starting. Neither guy was a ball handler rondo was our main like act you know our main conventional point guard he's not very good at that elbow uh, jumper and he's got a similar he's got similar shooting issues in in that like he has to get his feet a certain way for that to be a high quality shot for him so we certainly weren't good on those pull-ups in the championship run either so there's a valid question as to how important is that really for us but i think that we need, for one, we need to be better out of the post regarding the the counters that we run, our weak side action. Just like, I'm fine with us posting up way more than most teams do. We've got the personnel to be able to do that. And it's unique at positions where you don't always have guys that have the skill set to defend the post, right? At the three and the four with LeBron and AD. And even when we go small with LeBron at the four, most of those guys aren't used to defending a post player the caliber of LeBron. So that being... That and still the isolation play of LeBron and AD is always going to be our bread and butter. But I think that our offense needs a certain degree of diversification, or at least it would be be very helpful. Now, that, though, is going to depend on our personnel. And so if we don't have that pull-up shooter or that guy that can really be a threat out of those, then then it's really a moot point. But to answer your question, I, I, we're never going to be that type of team, at least with this roster, but I just think we need to be better out of our ball screen action action because it allows us to diversify our, our offense in a way that I thought was really lacking this season.
1: So this is where I'm going to get back to why one of the things that I'm going to want from any of these assistant coaches that is ultimately going to replace and i'm using air quotes here replace jason kidd and one of the key traits that i think that kid seemingly had that i hope can be replicated in whoever his replacement is is that sort of ability to communicate with the star players in order to influence that in-game decision making And in-game choices that are made because one of the things that I was thinking when you were talking about some of the Lakers shortcomings in their pick and roll game this past season is. I was thinking about the changes that we saw in Anthony Davis's game this past year. Right. And much more pick and pop, much less pick and roll, much less assertiveness going to to the rim and it's that high level dive man who is also going to open up some of the some of the Mm -hmm. other angles and openings and driving lanes and second side skip Mm -hmm. drive and kick again like the blender stuff that you see from utah the secondary drive and kick stuff that you see from um from phoenix or the kick out swing swing stuff that phoenix does a lot of right or the lifting of of the weak side wing as as the guard snakes the dribble and then the big man rolls and so there's all of this force going towards the front of the rim and then now you've got weak side wing lifting rather than staying put in, well, well, in the corner. And there's a lot of stuff that that Phoenix does that's super clever, but it preys on the fact that there are guys going towards the basket. And so
2: yeah. Aiton being oh, the the hub of all of that drawing the attention that causes everything else to happen.
1: Yeah. Aiton for Phoenix and Gobert for Utah, right? Like and yeah. so when you look at those sort of dynamic rolling bigs Anthony Davis is in that same mold, man, right? But that sort of in-game decision-making of, all right, well, I'm just going to pop a bunch instead, right? Popping sounds good today, Pete. So this is what I'm going to do, Pete. I'm I'm just going to pop. Like, does that sound good? You're a coach, right? And, and so somebody on the coaching staff. As well as the players, right? But like, you're going to need people in like AD's ear. You're going to need them in, in LeBron's ear. Be- eh, but getting those guys to sort of do the things that you want them to do that is going to help open up the things that we want to see offensively, it's not just going to be ta- – we think of those as X's and O's or tactical things, but nothing's changed within what the Lakers are doing principally offensively, right? You're still going to see AD post a bunch, LeBron post post a bunch. You're still going going to see some pick and roll stuff, but the choices that the players are making within of those things matters, right? And the stress, like, if the coaches are stressing these things over and over again, that's when you're going to see them execute, right? Like, compare what you saw during the run to the championship in 1920 versus what we saw during the regular season last, like, like this past season. And think about the level of execution that we saw with all of the cutting and and more of the flare screens and more of the counters. I feel like those are, those are things that were, developed and learned over time but it was also because those things were emphasized more
2: no i mean part of part of that is circumstantial though right you've got such a difference in practice schedule now that's not to say that the rest of the league didn't have to deal with that too and that's one thing i'm i have i have a theory that that vogel really excels in the preparation aspects of the game in ways that the season just was not conducive to Right. And last season very much was I always go back to trying to think of the championship run from Vogel's perspective in the four months off of the ability to really get into the tape over the course of four months. You got nothing else to do and you can really get into tendencies of not just the other players. But I remember I I, I remember uh, hearing about. Like JaVel McGee's screening angles and yeah. how that was a point of emphasis. You can get such into the details of the game when you've got that much time to prepare. That I just don't think it was afforded. It, that we were afforded that luxury this season, and nobody was right. We we needed to be more pliable and agile to be able to uh, to be able to fit the circumstances of this year, and we just weren't able to. Um, I also think it's worth noting how Vogel how Vogel goes about his business in terms of game planning for the regular season, upcoming games, and even into the playoffs. Both Lionel Hollins and Jason Kidd were future or were former head coaches. That's and right. Vogel has a very collaborative style on a multitude of levels where everybody does, does everything. And that means that, okay, Kidd, you've got the Brooklyn game and the Memphis game and the Indiana game coming up. Hollins has Phoenix and and these couple of other teams and a couple of the other coaches, right, you, you cycle through the schedule and everybody gets a game or two over whatever their their time period is, depending on how many guys there are. And if nothing else, a guy like Kid and, and Hollins in particular are guys who have done that on the executive level that Vogel's on before. And so yes. in some ways, Vogel is – delegating to many versions of what his job is. And so do you think it's important that we get a, or likely that we pursue a former head coach for this position in way, rather than like an upcoming assistant?
1: I'm so glad that you brought up this, this point, cause I was going to bring it up to you, but I was going to bring it up from the angle of, if I recall correctly around the conversation around the formation of Vogel staff, it that was a point of emphasis that like the Lakers front office was looking for. They were looking for lots of experience basically. They wanted former head coaches to be assistants on Vogel's staff. There was a lot of this framing of Vogel as weak basically or the implication of it was that Vogel was weak when he was hired, right? Like we talked about the kid stuff earlier, but even this idea of Yeah. So we're going to be very collaborative with you in terms of determining who are the coaches that are going to be on your staff. And part of the reason around that, I think, was because there were complaints around Luke Walton and Luke Walton's staff. Like, if you recall, there was a lot of, oh, these are his friends, basically. Like, these are guys who he has history with, but he's never been a head coach Right. And so how are you going to basically not surround Luke Walton with more experience than he needed? And so it seemed like like very reactionary to treat Vogel in the way that they should have treated Luke, Luke Walton. And we might have even said that at the time that Vogel was 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 hired. That said, it I'd be very interested to see if they do pursue another former head coach, um, particularly for that exact reason is that the 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 direction the Lakers are going or where they want to go requires a certain amount of high-level thinking. And that's not to say that only former head coaches can can think this way, but I do think there's value in having that already baked in at least from the Lakers' perspective, that that level of experience and ability to sort of say, well, I've game planned for 82 regular season games or I've game planned for the playoffs or the second round or the conference finals. And I, I can bring that level of experience to an assistant coach's job, right? And be able to say, hey, when I was coaching, as as a head coach we did this against this team and that worked and
2: and those are the types of conversations that are going on in every film room session right is Vogel may be presenting a certain play and LeBron's going to have an opinion on that Vogel's going to have an opinion on that the assistants several of the other players that was one of the beauties of the the title run team is you had so many of those guys that had that where they could have, if you have a collaborative environment with people who really, really know basketball and have been in a, a plethora of all sorts of NBA situations, then somebody can make a point that somebody else who's a brilliant basketball mind, they may make it in a, a certain way or have a different angle on it that adds a certain, an extra dimension to it that maybe that already brilliant basketball mind didn't already have. And so that is the type of room that this assistant coach will be walking into. And so they got to be able to hang on a certain level.
1: Yeah. And I think it's super important then to think about all of what you just said, right? Like the, the general IQ and view of the game, but also understanding that this person is going to be a part of a team right and, and a team not like oh the lakers but a coaching team and a coaching staff and Vogel Vogel's collaborative style isn't the way that all coaching staffs are run in nope. in my understanding of how things work around the league right and some coaches are very much like will like that and i'm not saying that Vogel's necessarily unique in in this way But because, like, I always think of, like, Steve Kerr, for for example, and this idea that, like, ideas can come from anywhere. You can be the associate head coach or you can be the film room guy, right? And any idea is a valid idea and worth consideration. And as we go around the room, if that idea catches some legs, it's just like, yeah, we're going to do that like, it sounds good. Like we've built consensus now and it doesn't matter where that idea came from. And so a coach is going to have to be able to be flexible and fit into the culture of the team as well. Right. And so there are so many, I've said this a bunch of times on the pod, but every job's a people job. Right. And, and so you have to be able to fit in to the interpersonal dynamics and workplace dynamics that you're going to have with a team that is trying to win at the highest level. And and so one of the things I wanted to ask you before we wrap is you had talked about the idea of like, oh, projecting and, and wanting an offensive coach. Do you think that the Lakers would go in that direction do you think that they value the same things that outsiders value you or or do you think it's going to be much more like a, a like a different approach when they're looking to replace kid
2: I think we've touched on a couple of the aspects aspects that this is complete speculation no informed knowledge on my end right but I think that a former head coach I think is definitely a preference for the reasons that that we both stated i think somebody that can relate to a star player and that and and that can relate to lebron and ad in ways that have their respect i think is important but even those conditions narrow down the field significantly but by and large no i don't think that the lakers see things in the same prism that that we see them i i hope though the results speak for themselves that the results speak for themselves this year in that we need to be better on offense and i as an outsider better coaching better you know uh more time to practice i have all of these ideas on ways to get there but my my train gets off at a certain stop where theirs keeps going they've got way more information way more knowledge and understanding of the sport in ways that I, i just don't and by and large, the the Twitter narrative and the fan narrative and what's actually going on with the team. I don't think this is exclusive to the Lakers, by the way. But what's actually going on with the team are sometimes on such divergent paths, and there's sometimes where I'm I, I am in the loop on some very small level where I'm like reading what's what everybody's saying and then have knowledge of what's actually going on. I'm like, oh, we're on different planets on this topic right now. So it sounds like you're in a in a similar position, and that you you don't think that either. No,
1: I don't necessarily think that there is a time where outside perspective sort of matches what internal perspective might be, right? But internal perspective is based off of so many more variables that outside perspective never gets access to. Right. And it's like anything else in life. The more information you have about something, the more nuanced your own view becomes on what is the appropriate way to respond to something. Right. And I've and look, I've been writing about and and covering the Lakers from a distance. Right. I'm not a sourced person by any means, but I've been doing this for over a decade When it comes to sort of just looking at the team closely with my own set of eyes and trying to get an understanding of what's going on and hearing a bunch of the outsider perspective. And getting a little taste sometimes mm-hmm. of, wh- mm-hmm. of what some of, not all of, what some of the internal or inside perspective might be on one small sliver of, of a topic. And even just in those small scenarios, I have seen the difference in detail and an understanding and in perspective that tell that has really informed my view of how I watch sports and follow sports in general in that there is so much that we that fans and even close observers do not know there is so much they will not know and will never know and those are and those things, those things that they don't know often make up so much of what goes into the actual decision making of something. And, and so I think the Lakers are going to look at replacing their assistant coach with a couple of the high level things that, that we've discussed. But so much of it is also going going to be is what do they know about certain other people? what kind of interpersonal relationships they already have around the league, like how they think a new person is going to interact with the people who are already there. And yeah, how do they you fit into our have.
2: style? How do you fit into what we do? You may be a great coach, but just in a different style that happens all the time. And and so there are so
1: many things that, and I'll repeat it again, like the, the, the people idea, this is work. This is a job. We look at it from we're on Twitter, we're watching on TV. These are sports. They're playing a child's game, right? Like, nah, man, these people are going to work. And they work more together and harder than almost any other person works at their own individual job,
2: right? They spend a ridiculous amount of time together relative to other workplaces. Absolutely. And so that idea of how we fit together is going to matter. It, 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 and I go
1: back to this a bunch, but it's one of the reasons why the 2019-20 championship team will always live on to me as like a really special group because that togetherness that that group had, not only from the players, but from the coaching staff and how the coaching staff and the players co-mingled, that was rare. In all of the years that I have followed the league and followed the Lakers, it's just rare. and And, and so – so if there's one thing I think the Lakers will probably try to recapture in in the next iteration of what they hope to be a championship team it's probably looking back at how was 21 how was 2021 different than 1920 and what have we what did we learn from those differences and how can we apply that as we start to make changes some of which we're we want to make some of which are forced upon us right they have to hire a new assistant coach right and some of that and and how it all coalesces and comes together in in order for them to try to build out another championship team and that means not only from the player perspective but from the coaching roster from the training staff from everything else right because there are going to be changes this offseason
2: and this is such a i've said this before but this is such a particularly difficult offseason to evaluate and season to evaluate because the injuries were such a heavy part that i think there are dangers on not factoring that in enough but also factoring that in too much and and making too many changes even coaching staff wise and philosophically so anyway this is really well said man this was um this is a fun pod we'll be back tomorrow with some nba playoffs but until then You've been listening to some Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
1: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn. double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic got it. Magic fires again.
0: Yeah, the Lakers win the game. The Lakers
1: win the game. Three seconds left. That next will the winner. It. It's on the way Bryant, forty-eight points, sixteen rebounds. Back
0: with his Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's, there's the move. Score. Two, score. one. Missed it's it. it. the It's over. And shot clock now to five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tap to Alvin Gentry.
1: And